Well, are you guys ready for the word this morning? Yeah. Hallelujah. Well, let's go ahead and, and pray as we come to it. Father, we just thank you for your goodness, for the great love that you have for us. And this morning, Father, we're, we're, we're thankful for your word, Lord, that uh, you didn't leave us without any instruction or guidance. And Lord, I thank you that even today you speak to us through your word. So this morning as we study it, I pray that your word would, would have its way in each and every one of us, that it would accomplish what you intended it to accomplish in each and every one of us, that we would grow and that we would mature. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on this morning, uh, as we have been for the past several weeks, into the book of Hebrews. And today, uh, last week, Pastor Joseph started chapter 11, and today we're going to go ahead and finish it up. Now, if you remember when we started this letter, the whole first um, portion of the book of Hebrews, probably the first six chapters or so, is all about the supremacy of God's Son. And then if you go uh, and we look, and, and, and he ushers in a superior covenant as well. He's a superior high priest who entered a superior holy place who has offered a superior sacrifice. And that was the, kind of the first six chapters. And the, sorry, that was the, the second six chapters. It was about how he's a superior high priest. And then as we get now to, to chapter 11, we're starting to see this idea that because of these things, because Christ was superior to all who came before him, because he was a superior high priest and offered a superior sacrifice, that we should be putting our faith in him. At the end of chapter 10, the author says this in Hebrews 10.39. He says, we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. He says, that's who we are. Because you remember he was warning them to not be people that don't have faith, don't shrink back, don't turn back to the old ways, right? He's speaking to, to Jewish Christians, and the concern was that they would turn from the faith and go back to, to the, old, the old methods in Judaism. And he says, no, don't let your faith shrink back. Stick to where you are. Faith is the key to our salvation. It's the key to our eternity, the key to our victory in every area of our lives is our faith. But the interesting thing is, is that we talked about Jesus was superior, and he ushered in the new covenant, which was superior than the old. He was a superior high priest. He was a, uh, entered into a superior holy place, right? It wasn't just a copy on earth. He entered into the, to the real holy of holies with God. And he offered a superior sacrifice himself instead of the, the blood of bulls and lambs. If you follow that, you might think, wow, he must be talking about a superior faith. Except for this isn't a new faith. This is the same faith that's been going all along. It's the, he's not talking about some new and superior faith. He's talking about a faith that's been there since the beginning. And we're going to see, as, as, as Pastor Joseph started off, and some of the, the, the uh, early uh, people in, in the history of the, of the Bible, he talked about uh, 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 Methuselah and, and, and Methuselah? Methuselah? He talked about that guy. Do you ever read the Old Testament? And, and so this is the worst part, right? I, I read the Old Testament when I'm reading in my mind, it just works. But then when I try to say it out loud, my tongue doesn't want to cooperate. Anybody ever have that problem? So you would think after preaching for what now 10 years or so that I would actually 
uh, make sure I listen to these things out loud when I think about it, and, and, and I don't. So every time I get up here, I just spit it out. But it should make you feel good that, that uh, you don't have to pronounce all the names right to get something from the Word of God. Amen. Amen. I once heard a story about a, about a, a, a guy who, who it was an, an, an older man, and he was preaching to a large group of pastors. And this guy was telling the story, and he got up there, and, and he preached one of the most powerful messages he'd ever heard, but he kept pronouncing somebody's name wrong the entire message. And he was so appalled that some of the men there were like giving this guy a hard time about saying the name wrong. It's like, did, did you guys miss the point of what he was preaching? The name wasn't important. It was the message. So the good news is, is, is uh, well, I try to pronounce them right. I don't always get it, but that's okay. You can still get something, amen? So anyway, he talked about uh, Abram and Sarah and, and Enoch and, and all these people. And, and, and we're going to continue on in the book, uh, chapter 11, just going through people in the Old Testament who had extraordinary faith. This whole chapter is a... <laughs> Where'd it go? <laughs> She did. She's setting me up for failure. Do you guys see that? You guys have a you guys have a talk with her after that. It's because Joseph tried to steal all my all my. He was clicking through. He tried to get ahead, and he wasted all of our time. Hallelujah. Well, this chapter eleven, she's going to work on getting that back up. But uh, uh, I assume you guys have your Bibles, right? This is church. You do want to bring them. This is a good place to have your Bible, and you can look up in Hebrews chapter eleven. We're starting in in, in verse seventeen. All you guys who don't have your Bible that was sweating right now, don't worry, she got it back up. You guys are okay. Hallelujah. Faith has always been the method to secure the promises of God and his salvation. It's been that way since day one. And we're going to see, as the author goes through people in this, in this chapter over and over, how they exercised their faith. He continues to, the, the, anybody ever heard the, the, the book of, chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews called the Hall of Faith? It's because this is just so many men and women who have exercised their faith. He continues to show how these heroes of old have exercised their faith throughout history. And we're going to continue on for where Pastor Joseph left off in, in verse 17. We're going to read verses 17 through 19. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Hey, you guys want to know what the best part about... Uh, the, the message blowing up is I try to preach for about 40 minutes and we have a little timer up there on the back. It reset. The first 20 minutes you guys got free so now I can just keep going longer. <laughs> I can just keep going. Matter of fact, at the end I might just have her switch it up again and we'll just keep going. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, the story of Abraham has always been a, a curious one to me. Um, you all probably know the story, but this is the, the, where, where Abraham, or God commanded Abraham to take out his son Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering, a burnt sacrifice. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but this seems like a pretty awful thing for somebody to ask somebody else to do. It seems like a terrible thing. Like, why would God ask Abraham to give his son as a burnt offering? And the truth is, this story has been used by the enemies of God to paint him as some sort of monster. 
I want to say, man, what kind of God would ask somebody to do that? But if you know the story, you realize it doesn't actually happen. When Abraham exercises his faith, he's getting ready to do it. He's got a son bound. He's up on the, on, on the wood. He's got him bound. He's going to do it. And an angel of the Lord says, nope, don't do this. Now, here's the thing. Isaac was never actually in any, any danger of being killed. Do you recognize that? Because one of two things was going to happen. One, Abraham wasn't going to do it, right? That was one option. Abraham would, would not act in faith, and, and Isaac doesn't get killed. Or God stays Abraham's hand. It's not like God changed his mind at the last minute. It's not like he was watching and goes, man, he's really going to do it. I can't believe, he's really, wait, 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 wait. I changed my mind, you don't have to do it. The plan was always just to see if he would do it. Isaac was never actually in danger of being killed. The other thing people say is, man, why would, why would God even talk about this for some, for some young child? You know, in our head when we read this story, um, the story, the word, I think it's uh, the word in most Bibles says boy, but if you look at it, there's probably a little asterisk by it, and it says young man. He was probably between 18 and 20 years old when this was happening. He probably, by the time he was getting bound up, knew what was going on. And the fact that he was bound up, and it was just Abraham and Isaac. Now, it doesn't say this. I'm speculating here. But the reality is, is that if he wasn't on board with it, then more than likely his dad wouldn't have been able to tie him up and throw him up there. <laughs> this isn't a boy. This is a young man. But the other thing that people most often forget is that God, even if God would have had him gone through with it, God wasn't asking him to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. Matter of fact, we know that God actually went through with it with his own son, who gave his life for you and me so that we could be forgiven and that we could be made whole. But the point that the author really wants to talk about here is just the amount this amazing faith that Abraham had. He had so much faith in God to fulfill his promise. And you remember that God had promised that Abraham would be the father of many nations through Isaac. We know we had Ishmael before this. That was when Abraham tried to do his own thing, and we saw how that turned out. Anytime we try to do our own thing, we end up making a mess. And you're not the first one to do it. Just read the Old Testament and you'll see plenty that have tried to do it themselves. We should learn from them, I think, and stop trying to do it ourselves. But God had promised that through Isaac, all of his offspring would be named. So Abraham says, God's telling me to do this. I don't imagine he liked it. I don't imagine he was like, man, I've been waiting to do this forever. This kid is driving me crazy. I don't imagine. It was just like any of us that have kids. He would have been upset. But he knew that God had promised. He, he was so convinced that God would keep his promise, he figured that, I guess he's just going to raise him from the dead afterwards. He had to be alive for this to happen. So he trusted God that he would simply raise him from the dead. Can you imagine that kind of faith? That's the kind of faith we're supposed to have. But so often it's not the faith that we exercise. And then he continues on and in verse 20, talking about Isaac now, it says, By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And then by faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship. 
over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is generational faith in action. I mean, Abraham leaves a legacy of faith generations after he exercised it first. And I don't know about you guys, but that's the kind of legacy that I want to leave. You know, I, there's, a lot of, there's, a, there's a lot of things that I want to do. I want to leave a strong and healthy church when I go so that people are still being touched and the kingdom of God is growing. That would be great to have as my legacy. I would love to, to be able to make sure that, that uh, uh, we have enough resources and wealth that I can leave that for my kids so that they're well, well taken care of even after I go. That would be great to be a part of my legacy. But I would, more than anything, I want to see a legacy of generational Christianity in my family. I want to see, I would, I would give up everything to just to make to know that my, my family and their kids and their kids are going to continue to be saved. I want this kind of legacy, generation after generation of people exercising faith in Jesus Christ. So Isaac, he demonstrates his faith in his old age when he, he blessed his two sons regarding their future. This is what he said in Genesis 27, 28 through 29. He says, May God give you the dew of the heaven of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. That's an amazing expression of faith and blessing to put on your kids. Some of us are, are only praying that our kids don't die. I mean, this guy's going all in. He wants everything for him. He's, he's, he's saying, may God take care of you in each and every way. Are we expressing this kind of faith towards our children? And then we actually see God's plan of salvation fulfilled in the line of Jacob. Jesus comes through this line, this generational faith that happens over and over. And then Jacob, he expresses his faith for the sons of Joseph by blessing them as well. I don't know if you notice this. I don't know what's going on here, but Jacob and Esau, right? So, so uh, Jacob goes in there. He weasels his way into his brother's blessing. And it's and one that's kind of shady on Jacob's part, but Esau's not much better. He's just willing to give it up and, and be lazy and do all those things. But the younger gets blessed over the older. And then when uh, Israel is, or sorry, when Jacob's about to bless the sons of Joseph, he's old and he can't see, crosses his hands and blesses the wrong one as well. So the younger gets blessed again over the older. I wonder what the deal is with that. I don't know the answer. I just find it curious to see stuff like that. Maybe somebody can tell me later if they know the answer for that. But I find it interesting that the younger keeps getting blessed. But there's still this expression of faith being, being expressed in what they're praying for. And then finally, it says, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is interesting to me because, you know, after Joseph dies and none of the pharaohs know about Joseph and now all the Israelites don't have favor and they become slaves, like, I can imagine then they would want to get out of Egypt. Like, things aren't going well. But Joseph, like, things are going good. 
He's like the second most powerful man in the area. He's got all the food. He's got everything that he needs. But he says, you know what? There's going to be a time we're going to leave. No matter how good this is, God made a promise to our fathers that we would inherit a promised land. And he says, you know what? When that happens, I want you to take me with you. Take my bones with you. By faith, he did that. Now, that's interesting to me because too many times myself and, and many people that I know when things are going good, we don't want to go anywhere. We don't have any desire, no matter what God promised, things are comfortable. Be weary of comfortableness. Sometimes that'll get you stuck in a place that you don't want to be. But Joseph, by faith, generations of faith, he says, you know what? There's going to come a point when the Israelites get sent to the land that was promised to their fathers, and I want to be there. So by faith, he asked to be moved. And then in verse 23 through 27, It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. Now here we get to see the history of, of people exercising faith in opposition to fear. Do you guys know that faith is actually the opposite of fear? When you're operating in fear, by definition, you are not operating in faith. The two are mutually exclusive. They're opposed to one another. But here we see great examples of men and women of God expressing faith instead of fear. Now, if you don't know what's going on here, the Pharaoh had just put out an edict that all the male uh, children of the Hebrews, when they were born, they were to be killed. And uh, I don't don't know if you've ever read this, but some of the stuff's hilarious. Like in the beginning, the Hebrew Hebrew housewife, or the Hebrew uh, midwives, yeah, not housewives, that'd just be weird. That's a different TV show. So anyway, the the Hebrew midwives, they are... uh, (laughs) Stop it, Joseph, I'm trying to preach here. So the Hebrew midwives, they are, the, the, when they're having the kids, they don't go and tell the Egyptians, so the kids pop up before they're born, and apparently they were only supposed to kill them in birth or something. I don't know what's happening, and, and uh, basically it says the Hebrew women, they're just too good at giving birth. They keep having kids before we get there. It, it's just silly to me, the things that they're saying to keep these boys alive. Well, anyway, the edict's out that the kids are being killed, and Moses' parents completely disregard that edict, right? They have their son, and they hide them. For, they, they hide Moses for three months, although he's not named Moses yet. I don't know what they named him. Does anybody know what they named him? I don't think it's mentioned. Moses was actually the name that Pharaoh's daughter gave him because he was found in water. But uh, uh, he was hidden for three months, and, and you have to imagine the amount of faith that this takes that God is going to, to, to take care of them and bless them because... It's not like if, if the Egyptians would have found out, they're like, oh, you got us. And he's already been gone for three months. You guys are okay. They would have killed them. Not only would they have killed Moses, but they would have probably killed the parents. There's a great risk for this. So the amount of faith that it's required to live a life like this is amazing. And we see that in Moses' parents. I think about that when you look at, you know, in the United States, we have such a great privilege to be able to meet like this. 
without fear of anything. But there are people in other countries that they are expressing amounts of faith that we can't even fathom just to come together as a body of believers. And if coming together as a body of believers, knowing that everyone's a Christian wasn't a bad enough, can you imagine evangelizing? And they still do. They still share the gospel with others knowing that that person could very well be a spy for the government that they're in. Could be very well out there just to make sure that they're caught instead of, but they're willing, that kind of faith. That's the faith that's happening here. They're disregarding what could happen with them and trusting God to take care of their son. They could have feared for their life, but instead they put their faith in God. And then after three months when they could hide him no longer, they put him in a basket and they set him in the reeds by the river and set uh, Moses' sister to, to watch over to see what would happen. And if you know the story, then, then uh, Pharaoh's daughter actually finds Moses and pulls him out and <laughs> he says, she says, have one of the Hebrew midwives make sure that he's, that he's nursed and taken care of. Find somebody to make sure he's taken care of. And he actually gets to be with his parents anyway. But he gets to a certain age, and, and at some point he moves in with Pharaoh's daughter. She calls him her son. He becomes her son. So now Moses is growing up with the Egyptians. He's not with the, the Israelite people, and he's got everything that he needs. I mean, it's not like he's just growing up with, with some random Egyptian family either. He's with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's daughter is his mom. He has everything. And the author of Hebrews points out, he says, but... But by faith, when Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be the, called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith, he, reject, he rejected all the riches of Egypt, all the wealth of Egypt, all the privilege that he had of being Pharaoh's daughter, and instead chose to be identified with the people of God. Why would somebody do something like that? Because he had faith in the promise of what God had. Faith in God's promise. Faith in, in something in the future. The whole point of this we're going to talk about is that the, what they were looking forward to, this hope that they were looking forward to, was something in the future. They weren't even going to receive it. But they chose to put their trust in God to receive that promise someday. So he rejected all the riches of Egypt, all the passing uh, pleasure of sin. And instead chose to be identified with the people of Israel. And this is a pretty amazing feat because this is what Jesus said. Jesus said it would be easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. Moses at this point is a rich man and he gives up everything. And that's because the temptation of riches and comfort so often uh, becomes greater in a person's life than their desire for salvation. They get stuck in the here and now. We just talked about that earlier. But Moses saw the truth and instead he looked forward to the reward. And by faith, by looking forward to that reward, that promise, he rejected all the riches of Egypt and found himself with his people. And rather than make Egypt his home, in this world his home, he left the land of Egypt and kept going because his eyes were on the one who is invisible. He says, choosing rather to be mistreated in the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. 
And then in verse 26, he says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He was actually, by faith, certain of the one he couldn't see, God who was with him. And then he continues on in verse 28. It says, By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Because of his faith, he went ahead and became the spokesperson of God to the Hebrew people. And I would encourage you to read this story because it's, it's not a straight path. And the interesting thing is, is I, I think that when we read these stories, we get such a, a small snapshot into what's actually happening. Even when we see that it's not a straight path, it's still straighter than what actually happened. You know, we miss all the, the normal, the mundane, some of the stuff that they were going through. But Moses, just like all of us, was tempted to not be faithful. He was tempted to do other things. But instead, he chose to trust God. And because of this, he became the voice of God to the Hebrew people. And then by the sa- that same faith that he was doing that, he commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover. And if you know the story, which I believe most of you do in here, this is the last of the plagues that was, that was going to tear through Egypt because Pharaoh wouldn't let the Hebrew people go. And at this point, the angel of death is going to come and kill every firstborn son in Egypt. And most of us are... are when you read this, you see, oh, firstborn son, we hear the word born, and we're thinking, oh, this means that, that you know, all the, the firstborn sons that are born that night. No, this was every first, it didn't matter if you were 40 years old or 80 years old. If you were firstborn, the firstborn son, you were going to be killed that night. So God told the Hebrews to, to, through Moses, to sprinkle the blood of a lamb on a hyssop branch and put it on your doorstep so that way the angel will pass over your house. And <laughs> I don't know how you guys think about stuff when you read the Bible, but I look at this and it's like, what is this, this, this rigmarole that we're going through for this to happen? I mean, think about it. Do you think that God or the angel of death needed blood on a doorstep to know which ones were the Hebrews and which ones weren't the Hebrews? It's not like God wouldn't know. He knew who was who. It seems to me that God could have just not killed the Hebrew children if that's what he wanted to do. So what is the deal with all of this? But I think it's because God gave each and every one of these people an opportunity to express their own faith as well. Are you going to do what God says? Be obedient to what God says? Believing that he's going to do what he said he's going to do? And the truth is, is today that we have the same opportunity to put our faith in the blood of a lamb, in the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ. And each and every one of us has to make that choice to express that faith. Somebody can't do it for you. You have to do it yourself. Continue on in verse 29. He says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. 
Imagine the amount of faith that would be required to step between two massive walls of water and walk on what is now dry land, which just moments before was a sea. Imagine, like, even if you see it, right? The walls are up. You're like, how long is this going to last? Do I have enough time? At least they had the benefit of the doubt of the walls were already up. But you know, the second time this happened, when a river is parted, uh, the God says to have the, the Levites are in front of the people, probably a million people, and it says, just start marching. And it wasn't until their toes hit the water. That the, can you imagine them? Like, they don't even get to see it out of the way. They just got to keep walking. And how many of you know that when you get a million people moving, there isn't no stopping. If the, wa- if the water didn't part, the, the, the Levites were just going underwater. But these people, this is the first time they see Can you imagine the amount of faith that that would require to be able to step into the, onto that dry land? It's like the man who was carrying sacks of potatoes in a wheelbarrow across a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And he's going back and forth and he finally gets to the other side and he sees a group of people that are watching him and he says, hey, do you guys believe that I could take another person in this wheelbarrow across this tightrope to the other side? And every one of them, they've been seeing them take the potatoes back and forth, back and forth, and they're like, of course you could, and they're all excited. Yeah, you can do it. So then he walks up to one of them and says, well, get in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) You know, it's one thing to see it happen and put your trust in it, and a completely different thing to be the one in the wheelbarrow. But they had to step What kind of faith would that take to step in between two giant walls of water? But then the Egyptians, right afterwards, how many of they did the same thing? They stepped in that same dry land. But the difference is is that the, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they did it in faith, trusting their God. The Egyptians didn't do it in faith. They did it to just chase after the Hebrews, and ultimately they drowned. The reality is is that faith is so important to our walk as Christians. Two people can be doing the same thing. One person does it in faith and will succeed. The other person does it without faith. Does it based on their their own might, their own strength. Or they do it based on somebody else. Or they do it because a pastor said so. Or they do it because somebody else said so. We talk about giving all the time. When you give, you need to be doing it in faith. Doing it because you want to. Not as a sense of duty. If you're doing it as a sense of duty or because I said so, you're doing the wrong thing. It's not going to do anything for you. It's like getting baptized without knowing what's going on. At one point when you do it in faith, and amazing things happen because you're trusting your God. You're making a declaration for what's happening. Or you're just getting wet. One or the other. It's actually why uh, myself, I got, I got baptized even, even after I was on the road being a, uh, to be a pastor. I decided to get baptized as an adult because I had been baptized quite a few times as a kid. But every other time I just got wet. I didn't understand what I was doing. I didn't realize what I was saying. The declaration that I was making. Truth was, was all those other times, I was probably barely saved, if if even that. There's a difference when you do it by faith and with you don't. And if you're not convinced, just ask the Egyptians. (laughs) And what about this one? The that by faith, it says the walls of Jericho fell down. Can you imagine that story? So you got Joshua leading the people. They're going up against Jericho. And he's like, shh, we're going to be very, very quiet. 
as we march around these walls. So they have to march around the walls, right? They can't, they can't speak out. They can't make a voice. Like, I wonder how strict that was. So they're marching around every day. And on the seventh day, they all shout. And it says, the walls came down. And all of us in our head, we see like a white picket fence that falls over and they walk across. But the truth is, this wall was so big that at least two chariots could run side by side across the top of the wall. This wall was so big that if it would have tipped over sideways, it would still probably be taller than it was when it was straight up and down. But it says this thing flattened. I don't know what happened. God's God. He can do what he wants. But I guess that the wall just sunk into the ground. I'm not sure what happened. But it says the wall fell and they had victory. How much faith do you got to have to believe that the, this, kind, this massive wall is going to fall, that you're going to have the city with just some, ooh, a couple daily hikes and some yelling at the end? That takes faith to trust that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. That was an amazing amount of faith. And then Rahab, the prostitute, she was in Jericho when the spies came to spy it out. And she hid him because she trusted that their God would take care of her. Their God whom she made her God. So now this lady, she puts her trust in them. She hides the spies. She lets them out. And, and, and they were true to their word. God was faithful and her and her family were spared. And this is an interesting one because all these other stories we've heard so far, these are great men and women of God, right? These are, these are I mean, of course God's going to take care of them. These are, these are superstars. But this lady, she's not even a Jew. She's a, she's a Gentile. And she's a prostitute. She doesn't have the qualifications that you think she would have to be used by God the way she was. But the thing is, is that faith doesn't give a lick about who you used to be or what you, what you used to believe in or what you used to say or what you used to do or who you are or how much money you make or the color of your skin or your, your sex or any of those things. Faith is about the trust that you're going to put in God. Who you are and what you used to be or what you've done is never going to limit God's ability to fulfill his promise in your life when you put your faith in him. And this one's amazing because she ends up being in the ancestral line of Jesus. No Rahab, no Jesus. Even the one that is stained by sin will be saved when they choose to put their trust in God. But those who refuse, those who choose not to put their faith in God, no matter how good they look, no matter how many good things they've done, the opposite is true. You can't be good enough to save yourself, amen? And he goes on, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Most of these he's speaking about are the judges of Israel. Gideon, one of Israel's judges, he conquered the Midianite army with only 300 men. One of my favorite stories to preach on because it's amazing. He's got this huge army. God says, no, that's too many. Send some of them home. So then he's down to, to a much smaller group of men. He says, nope, that's still too many. Go ahead and have them drink some water. And depending on how they drink, we're going to send some home. And now he's down to 300 men. He says, all right, now you're going to go take this army. 300 men in an army. Oh, but it gets better. You don't even get to use weapons. 
They're going in with trumpets and jars. What kind of faith is that? Yeah, that would be like us going to fight a battle with flashlights and pickle jars. Barak served with Deborah, who was one of Israel's judges. They led 10,000 meet to defeat the army from Hazar, led by General Sisera. Samson, another judge, another well-known story. Uh, even though his life was full of missteps, he still served God. He killed a bunch of Philistines. He put his, and at the end, though, he, he, we all know the story. He messed up. He gets his eyes gouged out in his prison, but they take him to put him on display in a coliseum full of all of the Philistine uh, lords. And he asked for God his one more time and he puts his trust in God and he takes it down. And, and in that day when he killed all the lords of the Philistines, he killed more Philistines in his death than he did his entire life because he put his trust in God. Jephthah, another judge, he delivered Israel from the Ammonites. And then we all know David. He was the king of Israel. He was a great warrior. He was a man after God's own heart. And he ended up bringing peace to Israel, defeating all of our enemies. And he talks about Samuel up there who was a wise leader and a prophet. And then he continues on as he talks about the people. He says, these are the things that they did through faith. They conquered kingdoms. Many of the leaders and judges uh, the, the, through, through, uh, of Israel throughout that time on their way to the promised land and in the promised land had several victories to get them to where they were. And they overthrew the kingdoms that were there because God had given them that land. It says they in uh, enforced justice, the same thing. Leaders of Israel and, and uh, the judges, they, they, they administered godly justice to the, to the Jewish people. They obtained promises by faith. You know, one of the things we find out is they were looking forward to a promise they never received, but you know what? They did receive the promised land and many other promises by faith as well. They stopped the mouths of lions. You know that story? Daniel got thrown into a lion's den for punishment for, for serving God. And uh, none of the lions touched him. So they quenched the power of fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a burning furnace. And what's amazing, if you read the story, they looked in there and says, didn't we just put three men in there? How come there's four? Jesus was in the fire with them. So they escaped the edge of the sword by faith. We have so many stories of people that should have died, but God saved them from the sword. One of my favorites here says that they were made strong out of weakness. One of the songs that everybody loves, one of the most well-known children's songs says, says, yes, Jesus loves me. And then it goes on to say that uh, I am weak, but he is strong. That's not quite really how it should be. It should say, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because that, that's what happens when you're weak. In your weakness, if you put your faith in God, He will make those weaknesses strengths. And the reason is, is because He's working and not you working. You at your best is so much lower than God working in your weakness because His might is so much higher than yours. And then it says they become mighty in war and they put foreign armors, armies to flight. We know the Old Testament is full of victorious leaders. Joshua, David, Saul. You don't have to... One of my, my favorite lines when you read the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, in the end they'll be talking about one of the guys. And it's almost like the writer gets annoyed and he's like, isn't this already written about in the book of Kings? Or isn't this already written about in the book of Chronicles? It's like, go look there. Quit bothering me. You can read these and just see all these victories. 
Then he goes on and and in uh, verse 35 to 38, he says, women received back their dead by resurrection. This is an amazing story. This happened at least twice. The widow from Zarephath received her son back from the dead. And then also the Shunammite woman received her son back from the dead. That was Elijah and Elisha. Both of them bringing old little old ladies' uh, uh, sons back to life. And then he goes on, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chained and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And the truth is, like the author, we don't have time to go through and break apart every single one of these stories. But the truth is, is that the Old Testament is full of men and women operating in faith. Some of them to great success and to great victory, and some of them, like these, these ones here, um, these men and women who served God, they suffered much because of their faith. I wish I could tell you that if you had faith in God and you put your trust in Jesus, that the rest of your life is going to be great. But it's not. One of the greatest disservices we can do to young Christians, to, to, to new believers or people that were trying to get saved, is say, oh, you just got to trust in Jesus and everything will be wonderful. Because it won't. The truth is, is there's an enemy out there that doesn't want people to turn to Jesus. There's an enemy that doesn't like people being victorious in Christ. And he will come against you. Man, if we're being really honest, most of the time the devil doesn't even have to intervene. We're plenty, plenty capable of doing dumb on our own. But all these people, they believed that all that they endured was worth the promise that they were looking forward to. And then we'll continue on in 39 and 40. He says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Every person that the author was speaking about had exercised great faith, and they received God's approval for it. It says that they were commended for their faith and through their faith, but they didn't receive the promise of salvation while they were living because that promise had not yet been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. They were looking forward to it. And they were dealing with a bunch of types and shadows of the real thing, the sacrifices and the, and the, the Levitical priesthood and all that system, the, the, the Mosaic law. They were, they were doing all these things as a stopgap, a type and shadow looking forward to a promise that had not yet been fulfilled. And, and every single one of them died before that promise was fulfilled. And he says that's because God had provided something better for us. And he's speaking of his son, Jesus, the superior man, the superior high priest. He sent him. And he says that they got to provide something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The reality is that salvation is always through Jesus Christ. It's been the plan since day one. Moses, Abraham, all of them, they're saved because of the work that Jesus did. Because they had faith in the promise that was coming because they put their trust in Jesus Christ. 
They're no different than us and apart from us. They can't be made perfect because they're looking to the same thing, Jesus Christ. And we will receive our promise of salvation and our inheritance right alongside them. And those with faith before he lived and died were looking forward to him. I think we, it's so easy to get confused when you see the Old and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, that somehow Jesus was plan B, but he was never plan B. He was always plan A. He was always the only way to salvation. Before the foundation of the world, he was always the only way. And the same faith that saves us is the same faith that they exercise and will save them. All of us look to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and bow our heads.